Let me start us with a word of prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the, the book of Leviticus, for your teachings, for your people of old, but the way they continue to resonate to us still today, demonstrating to us your character, what's necessary in order to um, receive that atoning, uh, the atonement and forgiveness, and Lord, how your son Jesus has fulfilled this all for our sake. Bless us as we study your scriptures and your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to receive what you would instruct us in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're up to Leviticus chapter 5. Um, we left off at the end of Leviticus 4 last time. And Leviticus 5 is kind of interesting. It's continuing. Uh, we started our conversation about the sin offering. So we're going to continue talking about the sin offering just a little bit here. And then get into another offering, the last of uh, these offerings, which goes by different names. And we'll talk about that uh, when we get there. But um, this section, continuing the sin offering, sometimes called the graded sin offering. And really, um, a lot of it just continues on from chapter 4, what we've talked about. But there's a couple of differences in this section that I want to um, point out to you. So let me go ahead and read uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of unclean livestock, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it's hidden from him, and he's become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness, of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, with which one becomes unclean, and it's hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it's hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he's committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. Okay. Any words or phrases that jump out to you in that section? Yeah, Barb. I just have a question. What is the word adjuration? Um, so uh, adjured, to come and testify. Oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, he hears that he has a, uh, hears a public adjuration to testify, though he is a witness. So... Basically, it's like uh, there was this crime. You know what happened, but you refuse to say um, to testify in it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're ignorant, you don't sin. Oh, so this is yeah, right? <laughs> this is this is the interesting thing with each of these. The phrase that jumps out to me is when he realizes his guilt. Realizes his guilt. Now that would be. One way to interpret that is, oh, if you don't realize that you know, ignorance is bliss kind of thing, or ignorance is forgiveness. Uh, I don't think that's what it's, what, what it's saying, um, but it's suggesting um, a particular, you notice all of these, um, the examples that are given are more, um, what would you say, kind of ceremonial type things. You, you accidentally touched a dead, I mean, we've talked about this before. Oh, I brushed past that dead carcass. I didn't realize I got it. Hey, Tom, you touched that dead carcass. No, oh, I realized my guilt. Um, you know, that's to, to make too light of it. But this is kind of what's, what's a little bit of what's going on here. Becky, you looked like you were going to say something. No. No? Okay. You'll save your dead carcass comment for later. Okay, good. Um, okay so this idea of you, you realize your guilt, then it, another step is necessary. And so this is the first thing I want to lift up just on your handout, number one here. 
that knowledge is responsibility. Knowledge is responsibility. It makes clear um, once you have realized your guilt, you have that responsibility. And we don't see this in chapter 4, but to confess the sin that you have committed. And the word suggests that this is a, a public confession of sin. Okay? You can't just um, keep this to yourself, not even just a you and God kind of moment, but you make a public confession of sin because now it's been brought to your attention, been brought to the attention of the community, and you've got to get it out there. You, there's, no, there's no excuse anymore. But that also, oh, I want to share, Psalm, it's been suggested Psalm 32 may have been the, um, an example of the confession that would have been made. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Okay? So I acknowledged it. I didn't try to cover it up. I didn't try to hide it anymore. I've, it's been brought to my attention. There it is. But it does raise to my mind um, a distinction, which isn't explicitly made here, but um, I think it's suggested, the distinction between sins of omission and sins of commission. Okay. Now, how do you understand that distinction? First of all, what would be a, a sin of omission? Something we didn't do. Something you didn't do. Okay. So, for example, um, you, I mean, like it says here, um, the public adjuration to testify, you, um, you knew of um, how somebody had, had been hurt or wronged, and, but you don't say anything about it. You just, you know, you say something about it. Sins of omission, things that you don't do. Whereas, on the flip side, sins of commission are things that you committed. Yes. Um, in your mind, and just speak honestly, just kind of a knee-jerk sort of way, is there one of those that's better or worse than the other, if I can put it that way? One of those that seem less offensive. Seem less offensive. What's that? Omission. Omission seems less offensive, doesn't it? Sure. Um, but... From the biblical perspective, I don't think we can make that, make that case. Because whether or not you've done something or whether you failed to do something, from God's perspective, sin is sin is sin. But why is that? I'm curious. Why do we feel like, well, an omission is less offensive? Because no one knows. Oh, because no one knows, Esther says. Perhaps no one knows. But yeah, more often, um, you know, what's the, what's the famous saying from Mark Twain? Better to, uh, what, better for a fool to keep his mouth shut and uh, have people rather than open his mouth and prove that he's full, something like that, right? And remove all doubt. And remove all doubt. That's right. Sins of omission seem to affect less harm. Seems sins of omission seem to affect less harm, right? And so we can make this kind of distinction. Yeah, Bill. Uh, I, maybe this is a stretch. It seems to go back to Adam and Eve. Okay. I mean, the whole apple thing. Yeah, good. How much is commission? How much is omission? Oh, I think you know, that's a really nice connection. So, okay, at, think of Adam and Eve. So, who's got the commission there? Eve, right? She commits it. But who's got the sin of omission? Adam does, right? He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. And it's so fascinating. I mean, you get the impression from reading that passage that Adam was standing right there the whole time. You know, he watched the serpent coming up, having a little chat with his wife. Well, isn't this interesting? Uh, and they're both accountable and, and culpable in that same way. Uh, so going right back to the very beginning, sins of commission, omission, we might think one is worse than the other, but I don't think that, that should be the case. Yeah, Barb? Is there a difference between you're being unaware, you know, like you're... Right. You, you hit with the 
responsibility, or if you choose not to do something, mm -hmm. is that already commissioned? No, I, well, she needs help, right. but I'm ignoring it. Yeah, yeah. So her question is, you know, does it make a difference if you, if you choose not to do something? Yeah, that is kind of its own commission, isn't it? Like, we, you can't get away with that being an omission versus, you know, I just don't want to know about it or pretend like it, it didn't happen or, or what have you. Um, and this is where we get into, I think we want to, we all turn into lawyers very quickly, right? <laughs> Like, well, you've got to understand the extenuating circumstances. I'll tell you a, a story about myself, which I, I, I was ashamed, but really I was convicted about this. It was Christmas morning. We're living in California, and uh, I got up real early in Christmas morning. You know, this is California Christmas, so it's probably 60 degrees, nice, brisk, beautiful morning. I'm outside filled with the joy of the Lord, just walking around my block. You know, it's early, the, the kids aren't up yet, so it must be four in the morning or something. Just kidding. But, you know, it's, it's got to be pretty early. Um, and uh, I come around the corner, just around the block from my house, and there's a guy just laying there on the street, on the, on the uh, sidewalk. He's just laying there on the sidewalk. And as I, I kind of walking past him, it's like the Good Samaritan right in front of me, right? Um, I can tell he's breathing. He's not dead. Okay, but I was thinking, I mean, what am I thinking in that moment? It's Christmas morning. I've got things to do. I've got kids to, to care for. He's probably just drunk. Um, and so, you know, did I go down and tend his wounds, pour olive oil on him, put him onto my animal? Take, no, I went back to my house. Um, and I did, I called 911 and you know, they came and, and got him. I kind of looked out my window and they sort of roused me. Probably was drunk, honestly. But, um, but I was so convicted of that because I was trying to, in my mind, justify, well, look, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. Maybe I didn't do something that I could have done, but is that really as bad? But from God's perspective, it's sin is sin. Okay? Um, and you see this also, Amanda, this is an interesting passage in, in Matthew. Jesus talks... Along these lines. Go ahead. Well, while Leslie's asking that, turn what, to Matthew 11. Where it says iniquity of my sin. What is exactly iniquity? Uh, talking about Psalm 32? Yeah. Well, so I mean. Or any place Sure, yeah. Yeah, so Hebrew has a, a whole variety of words for sin. And they definitely have different nuances. I mean, generally speaking, iniquity is just a synonym for sin. I think iniquity, if it has a particular shade, or, or nuance to it, and, and Bob can chime in here too. I think it, it suggests more of the guilt side of it that has been incurred also as a result of it. Um, but broadly speaking, it's, it's kind of... Uh, Almost the sin of my sin. In other words, the depth of my sin. Okay, yeah, good. So yeah, it definitely, I, I think it cuts even deeper than, um, than a mere sin, the iniquity of it. Um, okay, so listen to this. This is Matthew 11. Jesus speaking, woe to unrepentant cities, starting with verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. This is a side of Jesus that we don't talk about nearly as much, right? Because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have rep repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What's the difference between Bethsaida and Tyre and Sidon? Tyre and Sidon, these were Gentile pagan towns, okay? Uh, whereas Bethsaida, these are Jewish strongholds, okay? Woe to you, 
St. Louis. <laughs> Wait, woe to you, Frankenmuth. Because if, if what had been done for you, I, I mean, this is kind of where it's going. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, same deal. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, now there's a byword, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Um, now, you could get into the whole thing of like, wait, more bearable? Is there like level? I don't want to get into that, uh, that discussion. But I bring this up just to show they were especially accountable because they were in the know. And this is a recurring theme in the scriptures that God's people, for all, for all of us, to whom much is given, much is required, right? For those of us who have a knowledge of who God is and what his teachings are, in that sense, we're even more accountable to it. Does that mean we are less uh, deserving or less able to get his forgiveness? Well, no, of course not. But God has uh, wants especially to encourage his people to, because we have that knowledge, which is responsibility. Thoughts or reflections on that? I can see the, the wheels turning. That's good. I just wanted to, to point this out. Maybe you already thought of this, but just, you know, we, we did this uh, an hour ago. Our confession of sin in the service book really um, highlights what we're talking about here. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. It uses that kind of Old Testament language there. We've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Notice this. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone, all right? No wriggle room there, right? We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment and then the appeal for the sake of your son Jesus. Have mercy on us. Um, so I think that confession just so um, comprehensively captures the extent, all the ways that we can sin. What we've done, what we haven't done. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds, there's no escape. And that's the idea. Because then we're able to receive forgiveness when we recognize the, the extent of, of our sinfulness. Yeah, Hans? No, this sort of sounds like what Jesus did later uh, when he was talking about, oh, the, if you uh, uh, call your brother Raka. Or, yeah, right. It's like he's explaining this is a sin as well. And that's even worse. If yeah. you hate your brother, yes. it's murder. It's murder. And he, this is just doing the same thing, saying this is, you know, your sins of omission and, and things that you did and not did. They're all sins. They're all sins. And, right. and they're all terrible. And, exactly. Well, and this, so this brings us to the, the next, the latter half of this um, section in Leviticus 5, because it's going to spell this out even more. So ba go back to Leviticus 5. And uh, with verse 7. So it continues and says, but if he cannot afford a lamb, okay, so this is the person who's realized his guilt, he should um, find a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, and offer it for a sin offering. Then it continues, but if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he's committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but he shall not sever it completely. He shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. 
Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he's committed, and he shall be forgiven. Verse 11, but if he can't afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he's committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it. He shall put no frankincense on it for it's a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest and the priest shall take a handful of it as, the, as its memorial portion and burn this on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It's a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest as in the grain offering. Okay, so here we see, kind of continuing that passage of, um, and we've, we've seen this with other offerings too, God makes provision for people of whatever class to be able to offer up their sacrifices, right? Everybody needs to be able to offer sacrifices, especially for the sin offering. Because unlike those other ones, which have been voluntary, this is a necessary commanded offering, okay? So you offer a flock, a, a sheep or goat from the flock. You don't have one? All right, give us a turtle dove. You don't have that? It even says just a little bit of flour, okay? The point is not how much. God wants all people. And I think that there's um, two sides, to both a law and a gospel way to look at this. Okay, the, the law way to look at it is... Like it says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? So whether you're rich, poor, middle, doesn't matter. Everyone, God doesn't say, well, if you're poor, then you know, your sins don't, don't count as much. Or if you're rich, you can get off the hook. No, everyone is accountable to him. The gospel side to that is all alike are beloved and uh, he desires to be reconciled and uh, atoned with each one of them. So you might put it this way, number two on your handout. God shows no partiality towards sin or sinner. Shows no partiality towards sin or sinner. So these verses suggest that God shows no partiality toward sinners, uh, but as we've already talked about too, no partiality towards sin, whether it's omission, commission, hidden, realized, it's all a life sin to him. Uh, let's look at James chapter 2, which I think has an interesting... Uh, kind of slant on this as well. So this is New Testament after Hebrews. Go to James. James has a lot to say about partiality. I want to look at just one, one section here. So James 2, <clears throat> I'll pick up with uh, verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In other words, you're showing partiality between people, as he talked about earlier in his letter, you know, viewing some better, others worse. Uh, don't do it. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So here James speaks to both these sides of partiality toward sinners and toward sin. Uh, he says, show no partiality toward other people. 
But then when it comes to sin, don't think, well, this sin is actually better. This is a more respectable sin than other stuff. He says, no, if you have broken any one of the laws, then it's as though you have broken the whole law. Okay? If you, you break one, you break them all. In that respect, God's law is viewed as, as a whole. And to transgress one part of it is to have transgressed all of it. Which I think has really interesting kind of implications, applications, when we think about our lives as believers. I mean, my question for you, why do we tend to judge some sins as worse than others? And you know we all do this, right? I mean, we have kind of a, a default hierarchy of some things are, are worse than other things. Some sins are more grievous than others. Why is that, do you think? Because we don't do those Nasty things. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. That's, so Leslie said, because we don't do those nasty things, right? So our sins are not so bad. I mean, the things that we do, again, they're, the, they're respectable, the understandable sins, whereas the sins of others, oh man, that's the real bad stuff. Yeah, Sometimes we think the ones that have more consequences on earth are the worst ones. Yes, this is, this is a big point too. Becky said the ones that have more consequences on earth, we tend to regard as being... More, more grievous. And so we kind of import a secular law perspective into our view of sin. Well, if, if this wrongdoing is, you know, carries greater consequences on earth, then it must be worse than other sins. But we've, I've talked about this a lot before. Um, do, you, any, do you recall what C.S. Lewis called the great sin? What's the, in, in the scriptures consistently, what's viewed as the most abhorrent sin? The thing that cost Satan that had Satan be cast down? It's pride, right? Well, pride isn't going to get you put in jail, <laughs> right? In many ways, if you're proud, you know, you're, you're honored in our world, right? It's viewed as a, as a positive attribute. Um, but uh, I, I love this uh, line from one of my favorite bands, the Ava Brothers, and they, they say... Uh, uh, I, I want to have pride just like my mother had, but not like the kind in the Bible it says is bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a kind of, of, of pride that can be appropriate, of course. Um, but that would be a, a great example of what Becky's talking about. Uh, we, um, because we're not perfect, we will always grade on a curve. Ah, because we're not perfect, we'll always grade on a curve. To benefit ourselves, once again. Right. Or others. I mean, the fact is, 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 um, I found as a dad certain how uh, you sins or disobediences of my children. In some ways, I could go easier on sure. because they reflected me, and I knew. That. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I said, "Are you going to punish her for something you've done too?" You know that kind right. of thing. So my own imperfection, if you will always blunted that edge of judgment right? because I had to grade on a curve. Sure. And, and that leads to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously called cheap grace. Where, and that cheap grace is where, well, you don't, have, you don't have real guilt, so you don't have real forgiveness either. It's just this kind of cheap fake forgiveness where it's like, this is reflected in statements like, well, you know, we're all human, right? That's not helpful. That's not real grace. All, when you say something like that, we're all human, that's a sure sign of just kind of a cheap grace because it's like, well, you know, what can, what can you expect? Yeah, you know, I ran through a red line. Who doesn't run through red lights? Yeah, you know, 
It's yeah. like when little kids do something to each other and you say apologize. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not really sorry and they're not really forgiving. Right. I know. I'm glad when we grow up, we aren't like that anymore. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, we just don't forgive. Yeah, right. <laughs> we become more sophisticated. Yeah. Well, I haven't been to our house lately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is, I mean, it, it's such a challenge. It's such a challenge, I think, for us. Um, not to not to grade on a curve, not to just kind of smuggle in that worldly perspective on sin, and to be honest with ourselves and with the, with the sin of others. I mean, I'm not saying that it's easy, but this is where God would lead us to, to recognize sin is sin is sin, right? If you've broken one sin, you've broken all of it. This is why we need to be constantly in confession. This is why we need to extend God's mercy to all people. No matter how grievous a sinner you might think they are, they are no less Beloved and forgiven by, by God. Yeah. The story of Jonah has just been on my mind since you started this. And here's Jonah, kind of a sin of omission. I'm not going to yeah. go tell those Ninevites, right. the fish slappers, if you're a vegetarian, <laughs> because he just thought all their practices, their sins were just horrible. Yes. But then in a sin of commission, he shows partiality and refuses to go. Yeah. When he finally gets there, they're the ones who, once they do have this truth, they are repentant. Say, oh, we yes. don't know. Put on the sackcloth. We repent. And so it's a total mishmash right. of how Jonah thought it was. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I think that brings out another answer to this, too. Because you remember after Jonah finally goes grudgingly, he preaches, they repent. Do you remember why he gets mad then? Oh, Yahweh. Because they did. I knew that you were kind and generous and compassionate. I knew you were going to forgive them. This is just why I didn't want to do it. He resented God's forgiveness. And I think this can be another reason. Is we want to harbor and hold on to that attitude, which, um, you know, as somebody has said, and I don't know who said it, but they were smart, that uh, to hold on to resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die, right? Um, yeah, that might be Mark 22, I don't know. But when in doubt, I just assume that's probably what it is. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, and this is, where, this is where, where Jonah was at, but I think we all can fall into the, that kind of trap. So any other thoughts or reflections on this? And the, the summons to all of us is to repent alike and to, you know, just like Michael Jackson said, to look at the man in the mirror, right? And ask him to make a change. <laughs> I wish he would have, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> moving right along. All right. Let's go then to uh, the next part here, back to Leviticus. And there's a, just an interesting um, kind of, this is some inside baseball stuff, but sometimes the numbering gets goofy in our English Bibles. So this next um, offering really covers from 514 to what is chapter 6, verse 7. In the, the Hebrew scripture, you know, the original scripture, that's all in chapter 5. Um, and then chapter 6 starts with what we have as verse 8. So it's, it's kind of messy here. So really this next section goes into um, chapter 6. And um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, we've got different Bibles here. If you have like a, a heading at the top of that section, what does it say this next section is? Guilt offerings. Anybody have anything else? Laws for trespass offering. Trespass offering. Laws for guilt offering. 
Um, so I've done some reading. Mine says guilt offering too. Commentators suggest it's better called a reparation offering. A reparation offering. Because this was the, this was the aim, this was the purpose of the function of this offering was to repair a relationship. First and foremost, the relationship between the human and God, but also, as we'll see, the relationship between the human and the other humans, those who have been sinned against or have been, if you will, collateral damage from our human sinfulness. So let's go into uh, uh, Leviticus 5, starting with verse 14. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, this is basically a sacrilege. You've committed some kind of, of sacrilege. You accidentally let your dog into the sanctuary. Uh, this is one that I've been worried about before. There's been more than once we've had the door open at the sanctuary, and I've seen Juno come up the steps and just stand there. Oh, no, I'm going to have to offer a guilt offering if you come in, Juno. Don't do it. All right, anyway. He shall bring it to the Lord as his compensation, a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, or the sacrilege that he has committed. And he shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. Notice that, add a fifth to it. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he didn't know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It's a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. Okay, so one of the things that stands out about this guilt offering or reparation offering is this extra step of making restitution. He shall also make restitution which suggests a very biblical idea, although one that might make us a little bit anxious, that repentance, number three on your handout, repentance also requires restitution. Repentance requires restitution. And uh, you might think of it like this, that, that repentance is especially that vertical, that vertical relationship, okay? about that repenting toward God. But the restitution is more focused on the horizontal, okay? of how you can then benefit and bless your neighbor who has been affected by your wrongdoing, okay? Because it's not helpful if, you know, you've broken your neighbor's window and they say, what are you going to do about this? And you say, I have repented before the Lord. They say, I'm so glad to hear that. What about my window? Right? Um, and according to Leviticus, it say, Repair the window and put in, you know, one of those nice Anderson ones, a double-hung one, right? Make it even nicer. You notice that? It's 20%. At, you shall add a fifth to it to give to the priest. So you want to go one step further. Now, lest you think this is just an Old Testament thing, go to uh, Leviticus, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3. This is the preaching of John the Baptist. Keep your finger in Leviticus and go to Luke chapter 3. All right, so this is the great section. We hear this come Advent time. John preaching to the people, looking to uh, you know, gather his megachurch. This is his preaching. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, to him, you brood of vipers, 
who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Okay? Do not begin to say to yourselves, we've got Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God's able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Be content with your wages. All right. I mean, it's a very um, intuitive idea, but one maybe that we resist sometimes, but that repentance also bears fruits, right? That there, and that there can even be a restitution side to it. That it's not just about the repenting before God, but also, okay, if you've wronged somebody, how can you make that right? How can you make that right? Uh, but there's an important distinction to be made here. Um, lest we kind of go too wrong in the other direction. What is the difference between penance and restitution? What's the difference between penance and restitution? And we've got Reformation Day coming up this next week, and this was one of the key questions that was being uh, addressed at the time of the Reformation. Because penance was one of these ideas that basically, not only do you say you're sorry, but now you have to... Uh, you have to make amends with God. Okay, so this is kind of the, the stereotypical, say, X number of, of Hail Marys, do this, uh, this sort of thing, set in the other. That's your penance that you need to essentially um, work off your sin before the Lord. Okay? Whereas restitution, as it's talking about here, especially as in the, in the New Testament, it's the fruits of repentance. You're repentant? Here's what you do as a result of that. Not in a way to merit that forgiveness, but because you are forgiven, this is what you do. This is how you act toward others. Yeah, Bill. It, it seems to me that when you ask that first, what's the difference? Yeah. Penance is an internal thing. It's just a, totally inside of me. I, 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 I'm come, coming to peace with God, sure. essentially. Whereas restitution is an external thing. Okay. It's... it's <clears throat> Uh, I'm, I'm making amends with the world around me. Sure. Or the ones I sinned against, or, or whatever. Right. So one's very internal, and one's more external. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I would agree with that, and then I would add, too, they're kind of on different planes. That penance is directed toward, meant to be directed toward God. Right. And restitution is directed toward fellow man. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way of, of putting it as well. I see another hand over here. Yeah. Restitution also oftentimes succeeds or follows forgiveness. In other words, we're right relationally. Yes. But I want to love you now. Yeah. I, I hurt you. I, 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 want to, I took from you. Mm -hmm. Now you're in need. I want to bless you. Yep. Whereas penance is still trying to sit on the forgiveness side. I need to, yeah. up, I need to square things up with God and my... Even... even if I fix your window, will you forgive me? It would be more like penance than... Sure. Rather than... So a, a, anything that's right. earning the yes. renewal of a relationship would sit on the penance side. Yeah. Restitution is post-forgiveness. Post-forgiveness. restored relationship. Yeah, that's very good. Do you guys hear that in the back? If you're, if you're still working out of a, of a debt mindset, you're going to be falling into that kind of 
just uh, that, that penance kind of attitude. Whereas a, a proper, you can put it this way, evangelical restitution um, and reparation idea is because I'm forgiven, because of this right relationship, this is what I want to do. This is what I, what I ought to do, what I'm compelled to do because of that forgiveness. Does this make you think of anybody else, uh, famous characters from the Gospels? We little man? <laughs> Remember the story of Zacchaeus? And uh, I was thinking of Zacchaeus here too, where Zacchaeus receives that acceptance from the Lord Jesus. And you remember what he says then? All those I've defrauded, you know, I, I'll pay the, the half of, he goes even above the 20% mark, right? He recognizes he needs to make restitution with those he wronged, with those he defrauded as well. But Matt, did you have a... Yeah, I think if, um, in the courts, restitution is usually making whole the one who was wrong. Or, yeah. You know, um, and it is interesting to think of that in the context of sin, too, when you're, you know, speaking of works or other things. Works right. is kind of almost like a restitution rather than a, you know, righteousness. Um, right. Obtained. Right. Right. I think when we, when we have a proper perspective on it, we can see how necessary and salutary it is to take those steps to make things right. That when a relationship is out of joint, and we, what, what do I need to do? Um, in order to ex express properly the, um, you know, the, the penitence that I, that I feel because of our relationship. I mean, that's, it's, it's a very strong relational kind of, kind of idea. I'm not just trying to buy you off or bribe you, but because we are one, how can I uh, properly make this right? So uh, any other re reflections on that reparation? I, I was just thinking in our society, if, if you wrong somebody, when you go talk to your lawyer, the lawyer says, don't say anything. Yes, right. Uh, and when you, you're, you're going to be just, you know, don't, yeah. don't do anything, don't say anything. Just, you know, yeah. and we'll, we'll defend you regardless of where, how you are. And it's like, if that's the way with sin and we're thinking of that way with God. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's don't <laughs> acknowledge. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't own up to it. Don't admit it. Uh, you got to just keep, keep it on the, on the hush-hush. And isn't it interesting too? Like there will be, we'll have that distinction of maybe you aren't uh, criminally liable, but you'll they'll do a separate civil case, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't understand how all that stuff works. Smarter people uh, among, among you can explain that, but it just seems very strange some of those ways that we approach it. Yeah. So okay, well, let just uh, got a, a couple more minutes here. I want to um, get this last section of uh, or beginning of Leviticus six, but. Can, Continuing with the guilt of the reparation offering. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor. Notice this. The sin is directed toward God, but its effects are directed toward the neighbor. Commits a, a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a manner of deposit or security or through robbery or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby. I love that phrase. All the things that people do, you know, and sin thereby. Um, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord 
a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. So this one's kind of interesting because in that first example, the first half of the guilt offerings, um, the focus is more on the sacrilege is first and foremost and then it has collateral or corollary damage to others. Here it seems to be the opposite where first and foremost, you've deceived your neighbor. You've robbed him. Um, and then there, but there's a secondary sacrilege that comes along with it because this kind of perjury or, or lying or dece deceitfulness, it defames God's name. Defames God's name because now you have smuggled the Lord into, into your deceit, into your false use of, of language. And here I would go to uh, the second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we don't curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So that uh, when we speak falsely, now we are dragging the Lord's name through the mud. I mean, especially if you invoke it for the purposes of, of deceitfulness. But even without explicitly invoking it, um, as those who bear the name of the Lord, uh, because then we are being false to God's name. Does that make sense? So, um, other questions or thoughts about this section of uh, the first few verses of Leviticus 6 here? Why female and male offerings? What's the difference? Yeah, so the question is, why the, the female and the male offerings? So, um, we got, talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago while, while you guys were gone. No, it's okay. And... Um, uh, John Kleinig has this really interesting kind of taxonomy or typology of the, the sacrifices. So to go back to chapter 4 real quick, we saw how um, there were the sin offerings made for, it started with the high priest, or the anointed priest, right? And you remember what was the offering for the high priest? The bull. The bull, okay? So it's the, it's the top dog, so to speak, the top bull. Um, this is the, like the, the most valuable animal in the herd because it's the high priest. Then you have, um, next you had when leaders, when the, the, the leaders sinned, they were to offer a male um, uh, lamb or goat. A ram. Yeah. A ram. Yeah. But then um, when, when it was the congregation, when it was individuals, in other words, when it was the laity, it was the females. And... Um, Dr. Kleinig suggests, and I think that there's, uh, there's something to this, that it's, it's reflecting the biblical view of the order of creation. And for those who are put in positions of headship and leadership, there is this uh, male animal that's offered for those who are in the submissive state of the laity. Um, they are offering females. And this is continues. So um, what this is talking about here with the guilt offering, the reparation offering, is only, offer, is only um, for individuals, so members of the congregation who offer it. Um, and so that's suggested, as, again, as part of that, that laity is those who are submitting to their leaders offering a female. It's, I mean, it's somewhat conjectural, but I don't know. It, it rings true with me a little bit. But. Other questions or thoughts from... Uh, any of the offerings, really, because now it's going to turn a little bit and see it from a, a different perspective. But go ahead. This is something I've always wondered. Uh, they, they, they go and they use the word EFAT. Yeah, EFAT. Yep. Uh, 
How much was that? Oh. And, and when you're translating the Bible, it's like, I have a bushel. This. Right. We call it an ebet, but they don't translate it to a bushel. Or right. Is it that they don't know how much it actually was? Well, in some you, cases. So You said it was a little, uh, there was a little bit. Obviously, it was less than... It's not a pinch. So, yeah. I'm, I mean, a good, like my, a good study Bible will give you an equivalent. So mine says that an ephah was about three-fifths of a bushel, which, I mean, isn't that obvious? Um, or this, is, this is helpful. Actually, I mean, this is, not, this is not a small amount. 22 liters, it says. That's a lot of wheat. That's a, yeah, that's, no, that's... I mean, if you're comparing that to two turtle doves? Well, yeah, but, I mean, you don't have animals. Everybody had grain, so, and that was something that... I think generally, but I mean, I can't, can't say for sure, but 22 liters, that's actually, that's more than I, am I reading that right? Is there a period in there? It's very <laughs> tiny print. Yeah, 22 liters. So um, still, I can't really envision 22 liters. Any, can you guys picture that? I mean, I know what... Like what you see them putting in cars. Each of those water bottles is a liter. Yeah. And uh, 24 liters is usually what one of those plastic encased... Yeah. Yeah. Water bottles. Is it the same though? If it's liquid or? Well, if it's a liter, it's a liter. Liter is volume. Liter is volume. Okay. I'm showing my ignorant soul here with all. Three-fifths of a bushel. I didn't know we were going to turn into math class. This is oh no. You guys are going to give me nightmares here. Yeah. Suffice it to say. This, uh, so yeah. why don't they use three-fourths of a bushel? Oh, in the translation? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's, it's a fair question. I mean, sometimes they will, especially with money. Um, in the, like the shekel. Yeah, 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 right, we got shekel. But it, they, it, it'll be kind of back and forth. And most Bibles will have a page in the back to the section you don't see that has, you know, the equivalences or measurements or something like that. But, yeah. Any other questions about sin offering, reparation offering, or any of these offerings? Okay, well, starting with the rest of chapter 6, moving on from, uh, for the next couple of chapters, it's going to kind of circle back around and revisit the offerings, but from a different perspective. So we'll continue that, picking up with verse 8 of chapter 6 next week. Thank you so much. God be with you.